Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up, a conversation with Senate leader Phil Berger. Next. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the lightning round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us, Phil. Happy to be here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, why don't we start with North Carolina's new budget? Yeah, so uh, for the first time in a couple of years, we have a traditional budget that uh, was passed by the General Assembly, signed by the governor. Does a lot of uh, really good things. We, uh, we have uh, an additional uh, round of tax reductions for both businesses and individuals uh, in North Carolina. We have uh, funding for raises for our educators and for our state employees. We have an allocation of uh, the bulk of the federal COVID relief money that has come into the state of North Carolina plus uh, the allocation of significant uh, amounts of state dollars that, uh, that have been uh, in, uh, in, in our uh, checkbook for, uh, for a while uh, in a manner that uh, actually makes a commitment for us to fund capital expenditures on a pay-as-you-go basis. So uh, it, it's a budget that uh, significant uh, movement in the right direction. Teachers, state employees get a uh, raise. And a bonus, correct? And a bonus, that's correct. And now the bonus to teachers, one-time shot? Uh, yeah, it's a one-time bonus uh, for most educators, uh, somewhere between $2,500 and $2,800 per teacher. Yeah. And you fund K through 12, what is that, about $10 billion? It's, uh, I think it's closer to $11 billion. Uh, significant uh, funding increases there. Uh, and a new program in K-12 uh, funding that uh, addresses, uh, in large measure, the discrepancy that we've seen between the wealthier counties and the low-wealth counties in terms of the teacher supplement that can be paid at the local level. We've had a real problem with some of the poorer counties uh, having uh, some of their uh, better teachers uh, being enticed away to the uh, wealthier counties because the wealthier counties pay uh, a fairly large uh, teacher supplement. Uh, we uh, are trying to uh, level the playing field as far as that's concerned. Speaking of level the playing field, uh, Opportunity Scholarships, tell us about that. Well, Opportunity Scholarships provide uh, parents uh, with more of a say in uh, where uh, their kids go to school. You know, most people uh, end up, uh, they uh, are assigned a school uh, by the government, uh, and uh, there are a number of parents who have some real concerns as to whether or not the assigned school is best for their child. We believe that parents uh, need to be more involved in their child's education, not less involved. So the Opportunity Scholarships for low-income uh, individuals uh, provides parents with uh, some assistance in uh, moving their child uh, into a school that uh, better meets that child's Should needs. Should the money follow the child's uh you're in favor of school choice, I presume? Absolutely. Uh, we, we talk about funding students, not systems. And so what we would like to see is more efforts to make sure that we are funding uh, the students, uh, which is the reason we have uh, an education system to begin with, to provide students with an opportunity to get a good education so that they, uh, in turn, can, uh, can, can lead lives that, uh, that, that 
uh, reach their full potential. Now, in this budget, uh, you limit the governor's power and you limit the power to the attorney general, correct? So what we do uh, is uh, right the ship, so to speak, in terms of uh, executive authority. You know, we're, we've been under an emergency declaration in North Carolina uh, for, what, 18 months, 600 days. And uh, most folks, when they think of an emergency, uh, that, that's something that is of shorter duration. Our system of government is designed uh, in a way that uh, you have... Um, more people involved, uh, elected officials, council of state, uh, council of state uh, legislature. So the executive powers uh, modifications makes it clear that the governor can declare an emergency, uh, but after 30 days, if he wants to continue it uh, beyond that 30 days, has to have concurrence of a majority of the council of state. And if he wants to continue it beyond 60 days, has to bring the legislature back and let the legislature uh, weigh in on uh, what needs to be done. Now talk to us about uh, limiting lawsuits to the Attorney General. So uh, last year uh, in the uh, election uh, uh, season, uh, we had a situation where the state had been sued by uh, some activist Democrats. Uh, we saw our Democratic Attorney General and the Democratic Board of Elections uh, enter into a settlement uh, of that lawsuit that basically gave uh, the Democratic activists what they wanted. Uh, and uh, we have, um, uh, in the budget, legislation... So would you say they changed the game in midstream? Oh, there's no question about that. And what we're trying to do, as I said, right the ship, get it back to if we're a party to the, uh, to the litigation uh, and it's going to be settled, if our interest is uh, impacted, interest of the people of the state of North Carolina, the legislature needs to be part of that settlement. Let me ask you, I want to go back to taxes. The corporate uh, income tax rate phases down over a period of years. Yes. Um, uh, currently, corporate rate is 2.5% in North Carolina. Uh, we phase it out completely uh, by 2031. And on personal income taxes, over a couple of years, it gets to what, 3.99? gets to 3.99. And remember, Mark, uh, in uh, January of 2011, when Republicans uh, took control of the General Assembly, uh, the income tax rate, uh, individual and corporate, at the margins was over 8%. And so these are significant changes that put money in the hands of the people that earn the money. Uh, so on your first $25,000, you are not taxed at all, is that correct? Uh, zero tax bracket up to uh, twenty-five, dollars uh, and that's for a married filing jointly. Now, uh, it does, you do eliminate the uh, taxes on military pensions. We yeah, have we, a lot of veterans in North Carolina. We do, and we talk about North Carolina being a military-friendly state. Uh, the elimination of tax on income tax on military retirement is just another way to show our appreciation for our veterans, but also to, uh, to, to make sure that people that uh, serve uh, and uh, they get out of the service, uh, they're the sort of folks that we want to stay in North Carolina. We have a strong rainy day fund. Talk to us about that. Uh, four and a quarter billion dollars uh, in the rainy day fund uh, at the end of the biennium. That's the most money that uh, we have ever had in the rainy day fund. Significant uh, improvement from where we've been. Broadband investment? A uh, lot of broadband dollars uh, going uh, through our great program, which partners uh, public dollars with private uh, dollars uh, in uh, expanding broadband uh, accessibility to the people. I think a lot of folks don't understand, but the inner city needs broadband investment too, correct? Oh, there's no question about that. We, we have uh, pockets all over the state where uh, there's just not the availability of broadband. And, you know, broadband's gotten to the point where it's almost like uh, electricity and water and sewer that... Uh, it's a necessity. Uh, it's a necessity. Yeah. Uh, how would you characterize right now North Carolina's economy? 
think our economy is in good shape. I'm concerned uh, about some of the things that, uh, that that are happening at the federal level and what that might do to us. But I think we're well positioned uh, if the economy continues to grow. But we're also well positioned uh, if, because of uh, poor decision making at the federal level, uh, we see uh, the oncoming of a recession. How does Biden's energy policy affect North Carolina, the average person on the street, and inflation, by the way? Well, just uh, just ask anybody that drives to work every day uh, what it's costing them. I, you know, just the other day, uh, I filled my car up. Uh, I normally, uh, over the past uh, several years, cost somewhere between $25 and $35 to fill it up. It costs $57. Now, for those folks on the lower end of the income scale, that kind of change is, uh, is, is, is something that can, can really put a dent in uh, what they want to do and what they're able to do. That makes a really a, a gap between the, the middle class and the people who are pretty wealthy, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely. And uh, it, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, unfortunately, the left uh, has continually wanted uh, to uh, increase the, uh, the cost of gasoline because it uh, fits within their larger um, uh, uh, effort to address uh, climate change. You know, we have a big supply chain crisis in this country, and I see you put a lot of money into Wilmington's port. Would that help alleviate the situation, you think? Uh, it could. Um, uh, that wasn't the reason uh, necessarily that we did that, but it could be a side benefit. The reason is um, we, we are now in a global economy, and for North Carolina to uh, participate uh, fully in that global economy, it's important for us to have the port facilities where the large container ships can come and go from, uh, from our North Carolina ports. Let's talk about education in general and parental rights. As you saw what happened up in Virginia, the dust up up there with the school boards and that whole nine yards. How big an issue do you think that's going to be in the midterms? I think it could be a huge issue, particularly for folks that have children uh, in school. Uh, parents, again, want to be involved, need to be involved in their child's education. The attitude that we saw in some respects up in Virginia that uh, parents um, have no say in what's being taught, how it's being taught, when it's being taught, uh, is, uh, is an attitude that uh, does not uh, fit with uh, the way people feel about their children. Is transparency the key, sir? It's a key. Uh, I think uh, having... Should it be online, the curriculum? Excuse me for interrupting. No, no. That's okay. uh, I, I do believe that um, a parent who wants to know what's being taught uh, in school should have access to that. Uh, today, with, uh, with computer capabilities, internet capabilities, having that information available online is one way to do it. It's not the only way. I see in some states and in Washington a parental bill of rights is being introduced. We have something similar in North Carolina? Uh, I haven't seen uh, anything that's denominated as a parental bill of rights. I would just say that uh, the efforts by the General Assembly over the past several years amounts to the, uh, the adoption of a parental bill of rights. I want to talk about, while we're on education, the recent decision by a county judge in the Leandro case. Give us your thoughts. Uh, I think the judge uh, is overstepping his bounds. Uh, I think uh, in some respects uh, he is following uh, in the footsteps of other extreme partisan judges. Remember the Leandro case for a very long period of time uh, was supervised by a judge who understood uh, the role of the judiciary in the context of our Constitution. I think the uh, judge uh, presently uh, has an oversized opinion of what a court should do under Basically our system. Basically be able to appropriate money, right? 
right. a judge. Uh, and I mean, take that away from the legislature? Well, uh, an unelected judge uh, uh, should not have the authority, does not have the authority under our system to appropriate money. Well, what's next for that case? Uh, hard to say. Uh, right now, the, uh, the, the judge has entered an order that he stayed uh, that would call for the appropriation of uh, better than a billion dollars out of the public treasury. Well, uh, there's not that money available. So the net effect of uh, uh, that order, if it were to be carried out, would be to create an unbalanced budget in North Carolina, which uh, our Constitution prohibits uh, as well. So in every respect, what the judge is doing is contrary to our system, it's contrary to practice, and it's contrary to uh, uh, legal precedent. So it just could be, in, in, uh, frankly, uh in neutral, maybe, or uh, I guess what I'm looking for, I guess the next step is, is to go to Treasurer Falwell, correct? Uh, the controller and yeah. the uh, state treasurer uh, would be the, uh, the folks that would be called upon to write the check. So if they don't move, they could be sued? Is that, could that happen? You know, Mark, I don't want to go into to the what ifs uh, yeah. as to what might happen. I, I just think that uh, the, the issuance of the order itself is, um, uh, if carried out, a violation of the Constitution. You know, I want to, you had a, this session had a lot of good things happening. We had a criminal justice reform. Talk to us about that. So we've, uh, we've worked uh, for a while to, uh, to, to make sure that uh, if somebody makes a mistake when they're a teenager, that that doesn't follow them for the rest of their lives. Nonviolent felonies, uh, we've tried to find ways uh, to, after a period of time, if somebody's not been in any other uh, problem and they uh, get in trouble uh, early in their life, that they can expunge those uh, those convictions. Uh, we've also that was uh, bipartisan, by the way. Uh, absolutely bipartisan. Uh, Senator Danny Britt uh, on our side uh, was uh, really key to uh, bringing together a lot of diverse interests and uh, uh, passing a number of measures that I think will uh, prove to be extremely beneficial over time. Yeah, Senator Dan Blue was on here. He's very complimentary of the process. Uh, you know. I think one problem we really have is with retention of uh, correction officers. Have you worked to help on that? We've uh, we've modified the uh, the payment uh, the pay for correctional officers. Plus, uh, in the budget, we separate uh, the Department of Corrections out from the Department of Public Safety to create its own cabinet, cabinet level uh, entity with a secretary so that uh, you'll have uh, someone who uh, is at the cabinet meetings with the governor whose primary responsibility is corrections and what happens in the correctional system. You know, we have a huge fentanyl crisis in, in this state and around the country. Uh, are Biden's uh, policies at the border uh, contributing to that, you think? I've got to be. Um, we, we have no idea uh, who is coming across the border, what they're bringing with them. Uh, and we know that criminal elements, uh, uh, folks that want to uh, peddle drugs to, uh, uh, to our population, will take advantage of those kinds of situations. Currently, what is the penalty if you're dealing fentanyl in this state? Mark, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's, I, no, I think you guys pass a law. So it's pretty pretty strong. Uh, no, it's uh, I, there are stiff penalties, but uh, there uh, there are ways to keep us from getting to the point where we're having to deal with it at that end of it. We need to stop it uh, at the source, as opposed to uh, trying to deal with folks that are out there on the streets. Well, you know, Barack Obama recently stated that uh, open borders are not sustainable. I think what's happening. Uh, 
impact-wise to this state and the, the system, the welfare system, all of that, I mean, I don't know how you manage that. It, it becomes um, very difficult to, uh, to address the sheer numbers that we're seeing coming into the country. And uh, when those numbers come in, uh, there, there is a, uh, an imbalance that gets created in terms of what we appropriate uh, and uh, estimate our uh, needs are going to be. Let's talk about voter ID. Will we have voter ID next year when you show up to uh, vote? Uh, Mark, I certainly hope so. It's in our Constitution, and uh, yet uh, we have uh, situations where what I call extreme partisan judges are uh, looking at that not from the standpoint of legality, but from the standpoint of their partisan uh, view. Uh, voter ID has been upheld by the United States Supreme Court in other states. by 37 states have it. Right, by federal circuit courts. Uh, and uh, the fact that we don't have it uh, in North Carolina, uh, even though it is in our Constitution is strictly uh, because of activist judges. Talk to me about redistricting the process. It's very open. Uh, absolutely. Uh, every map that was considered by the General Assembly was, uh, was drawn on a computer uh, that uh, had full accessibility over the internet and uh, of course the room was open to uh, folks that wanted to come in and observe. So uh, I don't think uh, any state has ever drawn legislative and congressional maps with more openness than we have. Well they withstand a court challenge you think and how far up the line does that go? Does that, would that conceivably go to the Supreme Court? Uh, it could. Uh, at the present time, there have been uh, several uh, actions filed. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, with them, uh, but it's uh, my belief uh, that the maps were drawn consistent with uh, legal precedent, consistent with the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of North Carolina uh, in a process that was fully open. Some folks are advocating for an independent commission in the future. Do we need an independent commission? I don't believe so. Uh, I think an independent commission is uh, akin to a unicorn. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's something that folks talk about in, uh, in terms, but it doesn't exist. Uh, I continue to look for that rare individual that has uh, no opinion about politics, no opinion about uh, policy, no opinion about personalities, uh, and yet has enough information to uh, make decisions uh, in drawing a map. Ultimately, the decisions uh, on what the maps ought to look like rest with the people and the representatives that the people elect to make those decisions. Let me ask you this, and I'm changing topics here, but we've got a tremendous amount of folks coming to North Carolina and housing is going through the roof. How, how can we have affordable housing for the middle class, the blue collar and people who are underserved? Well, uh, ultimately, the free enterprise system and, uh, and capitalism has provided answers to many of those questions. I think what we've got to do uh, is, uh, is allow the system to work uh, and uh, hopefully uh, not have an overreach by the federal government or even the state government uh, getting in and trying to tip the scales too much. Are we seeing a lot more people uh, stand up to run uh, this cycle, you think? We've seen a lot of interest uh, in uh, running for the legislature. Uh, uh, at least I pay more attention on the Senate side. I uh, read the reports uh, about congressional and uh, state house. But uh, there are a lot of quality individuals who have expressed an interest in running. And uh, I am very optimistic about uh, how things will turn out in 2022. How did, uh, do you think our schools fared during COVID? And do we need a mass mandate in schools? Are, are these mandates too authoritarian? Uh, my opinion on masks uh, is, is basically that uh, if someone wants to wear one, uh, you know, they, they can wear one. The vaccine, remember, 
beginning of this year, uh, there was still a lot of uncertainty as to whether or not we had available supplies of vaccines, whether or not the vaccines were effective, whether or not uh, uh, folks were going to be able to, uh, to get, uh, get the vaccination. Uh, I believe that the vaccination, um, uh, I've had the Pfizer, other people have had uh, the Moderna or the Johnson & Johnson. There's now a booster shot available. I think folks can protect And a pill's them. coming. Right. Uh, it looks yeah. that way. Uh, folks can protect themselves. Uh, I think masks uh, on children uh, in school are unnecessary. Well, what about the mandates coming down from Biden on small businesses and, and corporations? It, uh, actually, it was just stopped by the Fifth Circuit. Well, I mean, doesn't that stop commerce? Yeah. Well, fortunately, we've seen some sanity in some of the federal courts uh, with reference to that. Uh, clearly, that was an overreach uh, by the Biden administration. Uh, I believe that if Congress were to pass legislation to that effect, uh, that uh, probably could be deemed to be constitutional. But for the administration, via executive order or via order from the uh, Occupation, Safety and Health Administration, uh, is clearly a, uh, an overreach by an administrative state that uh, really needs to be reined in. How are our farmers doing, uh, North Carolina's farmers, through all the COVID problems? Uh, of course, uh, they are having real difficulty as far as um, uh, labor uh, and uh, are having uh, a lot of problems as far as supply chain with reference to their equipment uh, and, and other things. But, uh, you know, agriculture is the largest industry in North Carolina. and I think uh, people fail to realize that at times. Right. It, it, but it's critically important to our economy as a whole, uh, particularly the economy of, uh, of eastern North Carolina. Well, you know, when you when you look around, you look around down here 10 years from now, what do you think North Carolina will be? I mean, will Research Triangle be the Silicon Valley of the East? I think we have an opportunity uh, to uh, see continued growth in North Carolina that uh, is not just the growth we've seen over the past 10 years, but, but I think uh, exponential growth uh, in the state. Uh, we, we are uh, located physically in uh, uh, the best position on the East Coast. Our climate uh, is, uh, is very conducive to uh, folks who like a four-season climate. Uh, our uh, public policies are such that uh, we uh, have a uh, very robust private sector and encouragement of private sector uh, development. Uh, we, uh, we will, uh, I think, uh, continue to grow population-wise, uh, and our education system uh, it really is second to none. You know, what I wanted to ask you about this, and I'm coming back to it, but one of the things from the governor's perspective that was left on the table was Medicaid expansion. Can we afford that uh, basically because aren't we counting on the federal government to fund that? We are. Uh, Medicaid expansion uh, is something that I've for a long time had uh, some real concerns about, uh, primarily because of the potential impact on the state budget. Quite frankly, uh, we've had a situation where we've had a Democratic president with Democratic Congress, a Republican president with Republican and Democratic Congresses, uh, a Democratic president with Republican Congresses, uh, and uh, the 90-10 match uh, has not been uh, changed. Uh, I quite frankly don't see them getting together on doing hardly anything up there. Uh, and uh, so I, I think the fiscal concerns that have been in place for a while are less, at least as far as the state budget is concerned. Uh, the federal government is, I mean, we all know how bad it is up there. Talked about, about the UNC system. How are we doing? 
Uh, we're doing very well. Uh, we have uh, the finest uh, univer public university system in the nation uh, in the 16 campus UNC system. Uh, our budget uh, actually addresses some real uh, backed up R&R uh, &R needs, uh, but also uh, provides uh, specific funding to a number of our campuses to address some, uh, so, some real problems that we have there. Let me ask you, what, what was left on the table in these negotiations in the last session that you would have liked to see done? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I guess that's an indication of uh, how comprehensive the budget is. I, I cannot think of uh, too many things. Uh, uh, we've, got to do, uh, we've got to do better uh, in connection with mental health, uh, and uh, I am hopeful that uh, the, uh, the fact that we've uh, gone to uh, a capitated system on Medicaid and that we're looking at the Medicaid system to deal with uh, whole person health, uh, that some of our mental health issues, our more pressing mental health issues, can be uh, addressed more effectively that way. That's probably the biggest uh, uh, miss uh, that's out there, and it's a miss because I don't know that uh, there's uh, a solution that we've settled on. You'll be Senate leader again next cycle. Uh, I hope so. Uh, if my uh, if the voters in the district uh, uh, send me back and uh, the members of the Republican caucus uh, select me for that, uh, I'm happy to serve. Any chance you'd ever run for higher office? Uh, you know, there's always a chance uh, for all sorts of things, but uh, Mark, I, I enjoy uh, what I get to do. I, I feel like I have an opportunity to have an impact uh, in a positive way on the lives of uh, individual North Carolinians. And uh, I, as long as that continues to be the case, I'm happy where I am. Great rep. We got a rep. Thanks for being here, sir. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.